0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 189 of the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Zanotic. Hope you all enjoyed the NFL Championship Sunday. We'll dive in AFC and NFC breakdowns. We'll talk a little bit about the Super Bowl, but we are a week away. Gotta save some content for next week's show. So we're gonna be doing seasonal awards, some coaching carousel shenanigans, and of course, our end-of-year award picks. We're going to start this week's episode like we start each and every other with my Standout 7. Let's keep it chronological here. Number one in the Standout 7, let's talk AFC Championship game and what a game it was. The presumptive MVP playing at home against the multiple-time MVP, multiple-time champion in Patty Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, let's, let's just be upfront about it, folks. I went 0-2 on Championship Sunday, you know? I talked myself into picking Baltimore. The Detroit one, I'm more okay with. I talked myself into picking Baltimore because they were at home, and Lamar's the MVP, right? And I said it last week, like I'll say, anytime I pick against Kansas City, it's just so hard to pick against them, you know, because it's like picking against Tom Brady. And when push came to shove in this Chiefs-Ravens game, the Ravens folded. They folded. Um, not uncommon on this show for me to go negativity over positivity, but if we're being completely honest here, put your hand up if you think the Chiefs won the game. Put your hand up if you think the Ravens lost that game. And put your hand down if you are wham wah-wah-wahing about the referees. Um, let's do the play-by-play before we get into the brass. You know, the the bigger picture, I should say. It's 7-7 in this game. Very early, Harbaugh shows, as he always does, he's willing to go for it. They go for it on fourth down on their own 34 in the first quarter of this game, right? Some great elusiveness in the pocket, in and a little bit out of the pocket for Lamar. Uh would say Flowers, it's looking good, right? Then it's 14-7 Kansas City. All right, not the end of the world. Um, later, Kansas City's going for it fourth and one, middle of the second quarter. Baltimore defense makes a stop. All right. Makes sense. Um, You have the weird Mariota-ish play where Lamar catches his own pass. I say Mariota-ish because it happened also in the playoffs, also against Kansas City. Um, Then we get a couple of back-to-back holds on the Kansas City O-line on a drive that people are probably complaining about penalties for Baltimore, but it is what it is. It's 17-7, and the Baltimore defense did not allow another point the rest of the game. If I told you that Kansas City was shut out in the second half, you would say, how bad did Baltimore blow them out? Yeah, not so much. Um, Zay Flowers with just a really bonehead. I mean, he's he's a rookie, right? Young player. I get it. You can't get on him that bad. I'm not going to rip him. He looked pretty good as a rookie. 77 grabs, 850, right? Looked easily like their best receiver this year. You you can't get a taunting penalty there. And then you know what? If you're going to get a taunting penalty there, you can't get stripped on one of the plays of the year by LeJarius Sneed as he dives into the end zone. That cannot happen. That just cannot happen. Then later on, uh, we'll gloss over the, the roughing the passer call on Clowney, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Kansas City did not score in the second half. You want to tell me that you want a pass interference call on I believe it was Isaiah Likely in the end zone when the ball's underthrown and he's triple covered? You want to compare it to any other quarterback, Brady, Manning, whoever throwing a ball in the direction of a pass interference? They do do that. But they don't do that when it's triple coverage. Not to mention I don't believe and look, I maybe I'd have to look at the replay, maybe I'm wrong. Raven fan, tell me, comment section, social media. You know the deal, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Not running from interaction here. Um, I don't think there was interference enough to where they'd throw a flag in a triple coverage awful read in a big spot in that game. I just don't think so. Um, Look, maybe there's another angle I haven't seen, and he was getting held all the way down the field. I I didn't see it. I saw the contact happen as he tried to come back to a ball that was woefully underthrown. It was awful. It was awful. Um, Winds up 17-10. They get a little closer. A throw to Isaiah Likely again. Looks like maybe it was a post route or something of the sort. Both guys go down. No call. I didn't really have beef with it. Reminder, I picked Baltimore to win this game. I don't want to intentionally look like I don't know ball. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, I-, I didn't think it was anything egregious. Um, then Baltimore winds up with 12 men on the field, which was, I mean, at that point, they'd mentally checked out. I thought Roquan Smith made a tremendous, tremendously smart play to get the intentional penalty, to get it back to first and 10. Did he need to absolutely level a chief player? Probably not, but the yards don't matter at that point. If Kansas City goes down and kicks a field goal. Who cares? You're already down seven. It's over understandable. I thought it was a genius play for a guy that's really been getting praised all year and rightfully so. He's a great player It was a tremendous pickup by Baltimore and you know what, he's uh, one of the anchors of this defense and unfortunately biggest play of the year, what happens? Patrick Mahomes drops back and he hits Marquez Valdez Scantling and he catches the football and it feels it feels ripped out of look, admittedly if you go back and listen to the episode after MVS had the huge drop this year, I probably said something to the effect of they're going to be in a big game and Kelsey's going to be double-covered and who are they going to throw it up to? Are they going to be able to make a play? And you know what? Mahomes had faith in him. Andy Reid had faith in him. Valdez-Scantling came down with it. Hilarious to me. Um, and the Kansas City Chiefs are going to yet another Another Super Bowl in the Mahomes-Reed era. Post-mortem here for the Baltimore Ravens. It's not pretty. And it's really not that hard to see where the first line needs to be drawn on the box score. Players not named Lamar Jackson had eight carries. How? How is it possible? That this was the game plan. Now look, I said before, I've said it up and down and sideways. If you're playing a run-first team like Baltimore, you try and get the lead, try and make them one-dimensional, they were never down more than 10. They weren't out of it. They were tied at the end of the first. They were down one score, middle of the second. You weren't out of it. You had no reason No reason to go one-dimensional. What happened to the Gus bus, huh? What happened? Against Houston, he had 10 carries. Against Pittsburgh, he had 10 carries. Is he hurt? He winds up with three carries for 20 yards. 15 of them on one, I understand. But I don't get it. Do I think Gus Edwards is an elite running back? No, I wouldn't make that argument. But the guy ran for 800 yards. He was... Your leader in rushing attempts. Where's where's the Gus bus when it mattered? Not blaming Gus, they didn't give him the ball. How about Justice Hill? The week before he had thirteen carries and two catches. Seventy seven yards. This week? Four catches, three carries. What are we doing, guys? I maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong on the scouting report. Maybe the Chiefs have an elite run stuffing defense, but you're not even gonna try? You look on the other side, Isaiah Pacheco had 24 carries for 68 yards. They were dedicated to the run. Dedicated to it. It wasn't, oh, they had 10 carries and four of them were in the fourth quarter on the last drive. What are we doing, guys? It just feels a little odd for a Baltimore Ravens team very clearly built around running the ball, using the athleticism of their quarterback, and play action off of the run, right? Using their tight ends, who are good, play defense, run the ball, okay, cool, you know, you're going to give this, this Patrick Mahomes-led offense some trouble because their receiving core isn't as strong. Well, they only had to put up 17 um, because you drop back Lamar Jackson 40-plus times. He goes 20-37, to 37, 272 a touchdown and a pick. I, I mean, this is another Lamar Jackson MVP year. I say presumptive. We'll talk MVP when we get later, but all things are pointing to the fact that Lamar Jackson is going to be hoisting another MVP. It just feels weird. You know, and this is one of those, it's a regular season award, I get it. But they're going to be announcing this fresh off of probably, I mean, let's look through the game logs here, probably his worst game of the year, right? I mean, he threw for a buck fifty against Houston. They didn't need it. He ran for 100 yards in that game. Um... Threw for a buck seventy against Jacksonville, a touchdown and a pick. All right, uh, but in that game he ran for ninety-seven. He ran for fifty-four yards against Kansas City, and he fumbled, by the way. I strip sack. I... It just wasn't a great game. I don't get it. You know, I would understand if you fell in love with the pass because Lamar was on fire. He was throwing dots everywhere, and he had two hundred yards in the first half and the offense was clicking, and you're like, you know what, let's just let's just show them who we are. We can win at their game. You scored 10 points, and three of them came in the fourth quarter. I mean, come on. This is an embarrassing game for the Baltimore Ravens, for John Harbaugh, for Lamar Jackson. Everyone involved, everyone but the Baltimore defense. The defense and the special teams, other than them throwing Justin Tucker's helmet away, should be able to rest easy because realistically i mean what more could they have done what more could they have done so here we are walking into yet another offseason in baltimore where their team looks solid this year they were dealing with a an intriguing afc north no joe burrow for the bulk of the year means that cincinnati was out of the way pittsburgh was shuffling quarterbacks left and right, and you let them into the playoffs, right? It was your backups playing in week 18, right or wrong, it's the truth. Um, and Cleveland with Joe Flacco also found their way into the postseason. So I'm not certain this is an, ins- I mean, obviously, Super Bowl or bust, right? But this is not an inspiring AFC championship game loss. This is not early in the dynasty, so to speak. You would think. This is, everyone is in their prime. Lamar's in his prime. The defensive players are not young. I mean, Zay Flowers is young. This is true. Isaiah Likely's young. But you tend to think you need to start winning and at least getting to the Super Bowl to try, you know. You don't always get there and win on the first shot. You don't always get a second shot. So, sorry Baltimore fan, but uh, that's a tough one to swallow. And it's going to be even worse if you're watching Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift holding up that Lombardi trophy in a little over a week. Number two in the standout seven, let's talk about another team that lost the championship game. Let's talk Detroit. What is going on? We can go blow for blow in this game, but for me, this game comes down to a handful of plays. It comes down to my boy, Josh Reynolds. I'm a fan of Josh Reynolds. If you've been listening for a few years, first of all, thanks for sticking around. Second of all, you remember... Me talking about Josh Reynolds and his role on the Rams and how he was a great player for the Rams and how letting him go, oh, I don't know. And then, you know, he he winds up in Tennessee, they barely use him, gets traded to Detroit. And this year, I mean, he had his second most receiving yards he's ever had. Off by 10 yards. Tied for the most touchdowns he's ever had receiving. And the biggest play of his career... No, just uh, just a straight-up drop. Um, the other play you want to talk about is, and I, I need to make sure I get the name proper here, Kindle Vilder, tremendous name, candidate for the all-name team. Uh, not so much after getting hit in the face mask with a deep ball, a perfectly thrown interception, um, which is then caught by... Brandon Ayuk on the juggle. Tremendous play by Ayuk. Did his job. Um, the saying I always love to use when you see a dropped interception is, well, that's why you play defense. Not sure who came up with it. It certainly wasn't me. Um, wow. Which one is worse? And then you want to talk about the Jameer Gibbs fumble. Then you want to talk about the Jamison Williams little, uh, little bit of an alligator arm on a deep ball that Goff hit him in the hands on. I mean, then they get stopped on that drive. Like, all. Th- by the way, while I'm over here talking about how I went 0-2 in the championship games, please do yourself a favor. Show me some love. Forgetting the Jamison Williams call, right? I just said he dropped a touchdown. Yeah, yeah, he did. Jamison Williams had 42 targets this year. He had three touchdowns. I said he would be an X-factor because of his speed. He had two touchdowns. In that game. Dropped a third one. Third one could have been massive. I agree. I understand. Rushing touchdown in the first quarter. And he winds up with a a good catch. I believe it was on fourth down. uh, Or late in the game at the least. It was in the fourth quarter. um, To try and pull Detroit back into this game. And. I, I mean who do you want to blame? People are blaming Dan Campbell. For not kicking the field goals. And. I would understand where you're coming from if they somehow lost. I mean, they do lose this game by three, right? So I shouldn't say, oh, I would understand where you're coming. No, 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 no. I get where you're coming from. But at the end of the day, this is their second kicker of the season. He kicked four field goals for them. Right? Maybe there's not a lot of confidence there in good old Michael Badgley, you know? Not trying to rip him. He's not a bad kicker, I don't believe. But maybe the confidence isn't there. Also, can we talk about how perfectly they schemed up some of these plays? I mean, Josh Reynolds was wide open. He's wide open. Just catch the ball. Kindle Vilder, the ball. If, if Kendall Vilder didn't have a face, didn't have a, a, a visor, the ball would have Tyreed itself into his face mask. That's how perfectly thrown the Brock Purdy interception was. The should-have-been interception, I should say. I mean, come on, guys. You want to rip Dan Campbell? Look, you're you're completely within your right, and you are correct. They left points on the board, and, uh, you know, it is what it is. Is it a little bit of copium? After the game, where when Campbell goes, it's easy hindsight, I get it. I don't regret those decisions. I understand the scrutiny I'll get. It's part of the gig. He's spot on. I mean, this is a guy that's used to going for it. That's what they do. That's their identity. They're an aggressive team. They've been that way all year. They got that way. They got where they are because they are that way, I should say. And they're not going to change that. I was honestly surprised he even took the field goal in the second quarter going into halftime. This is a game they should have won. And you want to heap blame on the coach, go for it. But he's not the one out there making plays. He put Josh Reynolds in position to make a play. Kendall Wilder was right there where he needed to be to make a play. Jamison Williams was right there where he needed to be to make a play. (sighs) I feel bad for Jameer Gibbs. I mean it's it's a rough fumble. Oh my goodness. I was talking before the game about how Gibbs needs the ball more, but Montgomery was scorching hot in this game. They bring in Gibbs for a change of pace, maybe give Montgomery a blow. And he puts the ball on the turf in one of the worst possible situations. And it's just it's just so rough to see. Laporta played great. Amon Ra played great. I mean Jared Goff was tremendous as as per usual. He's been for them. He's been phenomenal. Um. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you guys. This was a, a rough game on the 49er side, on the positive side. We didn't really talk about Kansas City in the last game. We'll talk more about them, I guess, when we do the Super Bowl preview next week's episode, episode number 190. But uh, I guess we talked about them enough. But San Francisco, shout out to them for having the guts. You know, this is a team, not the same players, but this is a team that had to lead in the Super Bowl and collapsed, right? This is a team that just played a tough game against Green Bay, and Detroit came out and showed them, oh, you think Green Bay is tough? Yeah, we beat up on them. We're the big dog in the NFC North. Come see what we got. Well, Purdy, interception that should have been an interception withstanding, played okay, right? 20 31, 267, a touchdown and a pick. Call it evening out, because in the first half he gets the pick because the D-lineman hits his hand as he's throwing. Well, in the second half, the football gods gave it back to him. Um, Christian McCaffrey, 24 touches for a buck, 30, and two touchdowns. You know he's going to show up to a big game. Debo Samuel looked pretty good out there. He looked all right, didn't seem to be favoring his shoulder at all. 89 yards receiving. A couple carries for not much. Ayuk with the huge catch. Kittle didn't do much. Two catches for 27. He was throwing blocks, doing his thing. It, it really, you know, as somebody that perfectly picked the wrong teams in both games, I mean, it couldn't have been easier, especially for Detroit. Detroit's up so big, so big, and you get, you know what, I'll be that guy because we talked about it last week. You get the kiss of death from Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in the first half waving to the crowd up 21-7. to Total goofball. Total, complete, and utter goofball. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. He is, sorry, C.J. Gardner-Johnson. C.J. G.J., if you will. Not sure what they call him nowadays. Total goofball. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, you look at his regular season stats. I, Guys, he had 17 tackles. I mean, I know he only played a handful of games. Came over from Philly come on, not an impact player during the year, like is this is two playoff games in a row, he's Mr. Taunting like, I don't know dude uh, I don't know, I think he's a decent player he was good in Philly, but what is he on about what is he on, I don't get it, kiss of death sorry Lion fan, sorry Raven fan you're going to be watching the Super Bowl at home with me number three in the standout seven let's do some coaching carousel Uh, catch up Triple C here, not to be confused with Henry Cejudo. Um, Philly, going to hire Kellen Moore, the former Cowboy OC, as their offensive coordinator. Good hire, bad hire, Eh, it's one of the hires of all time. Kellen Moore was pretty well regarded in Dallas, not so much since leaving Dallas, actually pushed out, I believe, by the McCarthy regime, short of swap. Um, Cleveland hiring Ken Dorsey, the former Bills OC, as their OC. Ken Dorsey, famously a former Cleveland Brown quarterback. Uh, He was not great. You know, he played four games, um, seven interceptions, no touchdowns. But, hey, what are you going to do? Other coaching news, Ben Johnson of the Detroit Lions. This one is massive, and I think it just came down to the job that he may have had in mind. Got filled before he had the opportunity to depart. Um, supposedly he was asking for too much money. Well, when your team is up big in the NFC championship game and you are, you know, a half away from being Kyle Shanahan when he was on that Falcon staff, you can ask for decent money. He's going to come back and he's going to finish the story, to quote Cody Rhodes, uh, in theory, at least with the Detroit Lions. Um, Seattle hires the Baltimore defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, as their new head coach. Interesting hire. I mean, it's hard to knock them. That Baltimore defense was tremendous. I thought, before the Dallas playoff game, Dan Quinn would be the fit. Obviously, the defense didn't play so good in that playoff game. Um, I guess McDonald interviewed well. Congratulations to him, first-time head coach. Uh, Washington, the Commanders, then pivot immediately and hire Dan Quinn in division. Huh intriguing um let's see how he does you take a look back at the Dan Quinn previous stops obviously was the head coach in Atlanta while he was there team was 11 and 5 10 and 6 before back-to-back seven and nines and then fired the following season when they were 0 and 5 oh by the way one of those years was the Shanahan lost Super Bowl the 11 and 5 year back in 2016 when Matt Ryan played oh so good they were up 28-3 to in the Super Bowl. So uh, let's see if Dan Quinn can make it work for the Commanders. Um, you know what? He was pretty good as a D coordinator, I would say, though there's a lot of talent for Dallas. There's always a lot of talent for Dallas. And when it mattered, they didn't really show up. So I'm 50-50 on this one. Cliff Kingsbury reportedly coming back to the NFL. He's going to be the Las Vegas Raiders offensive coordinator. I remember some... I don't know if it was a quote or some weird stories about him when he was leaving Arizona, not necessarily calling him weird, but saying that he was going to go move to Thailand or something and not coach football, and, well, evidently that didn't last very long, but I guess nice to see him back on the NFL sidelines. I don't think he was anything special in Arizona. Let's see if he's better in an assistant role. Uh, Pittsburgh made it official that the recently fired fired this season uh, Atlanta head coach Arthur Smith is going to be their offensive coordinator. Interesting hire. I don't think the Falcons' offense was uh, necessarily indicative of a tremendous offensive acumen, but you know, when they were when he was in Tennessee as the OC, they had a good rushing attack and decent passing. But like they had Derrick Henry. So, uh, good luck, Steeler fan. I think you might have found the guy that's presumably going to wind up public enemy number one yet again. Uh, That's pretty much all I've got here on the coaching carousel. A couple of things I want to touch on for number four here in the standout seven. Just a couple of things that we can table for the next episode. Or rather, even the episode following the Super Bowl. So, first and foremost here. Got Ryan Clark's comments on Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy has separated himself from Dak Prescott, Tua Tagovailoa, and Justin Herbert. Let's table that. It is now the 2nd of February as I am recording this episode. How about we discuss this on the 16th of February? Can we do that? Can we do that? Can we talk about it after they've actually performed potentially in the Super Bowl? Because I think Brock Purdy's pretty good. He used his legs better than I ever thought he would. He showed that he has that little giddy-up when he needs to against Detroit, and it was underrated, and I think, honestly, it was, it was pivotal in keeping alive some of those drives late in the game. Especially, you know, maybe late in the game or the second half as a whole. But, uh, I mean, 20-31, 267 in a pick, potentially a second pick. The guy didn't play tremendous. They won the game. I get it. What happened to are in a quarterback stat? What happened to that? Anyway, uh, another thing we can table... Um, comparisons between the Kansas City Chiefs and the New England Patriots. Can we table that one? Perhaps. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Let's not talk about legacy and dynasties and whatever. Let's let them play the Super Bowl first. Uh, the comparison I'm referencing is the 14-18 Patriots and the 19-23 Kansas City Chiefs. Five division titles apiece. Five conference championship appearances apiece. Four Super Bowl appearances apiece. And if they were to win, it'd be three Super Bowl wins apiece. Let's let's table that one. Let's not talk about that right now. How about that? Thanks. That's tremendous. Um, number f- six, excuse me, no, number five in the standout seven here. Uh, there was another thing I want to talk about. There was an article about the Jets collapse in The Athletic, but uh, admittedly, I didn't read it super thoroughly because you know why the Jets collapsed? Aaron Rodgers got hurt on, like, the third play of the season. That That's why. That's why they collapsed. We did it, guys. How many words did it take you to write that one? We solved the problem. How many teams can have their future Hall of Fame and or former MVP quarterback go down and look good? Did the Vikings win any playoff games when Kirk Cousins went down? I mean, what do you expect here? Anyway... Uh, number five in the standout seven, let's, let's do this again. We're going to keep it brief because we've had to do this over and over and over and over and over. Marlon Humphrey on Bill Belichick not getting a head coaching job. The quote unquote greatest coach of all time did not get hired out of six head coaching jobs open. I think that debate can be put to rest now. Shut up, dude. Like, like genuinely. Like, why does everyone, like, I get it. Bill Belichick was the villain, right? Him and Tom Brady were the villains of the league, right? Either you got bored of watching him in the Super Bowl or because it's Brady was a golden boy or it's because Belichick and his team straight up cheated. I get it. I do. But we're going to we're gonna pretend like it's not disingenuous to talk about Bill Belichick not getting a job at 71 years old and be like, ah, yeah, yeah well, clearly he's nothing special. I mean, Pete Carroll didn't get a job either. I think Pete Carroll's a pretty good ball coach, right? Like, what are we doing, guys? Pete Carroll's team almost went to the playoffs this year. He's gone through QB changes. I'm a little confused. Um, I don't get why the, the pile on, so to speak. Why do we need to do this? The guy is—he is the greatest coach of all time, in terms of pure accomplishments. Is he the smartest coach? I don't know. I'm not in the room coaching. Not in the room listening while he's drawing up the game plan. But I can tell you this much. If you've been as far as often as he has and continually succeeded, what what do I need to know? Were they good post-Brady? No. Did you think they were going to be? I thought you guys told me Brady left because the receiving core was bad. All right, well, it was still bad after he left. They went and got a post-MVP Cam Newton who got hurt. Wasn't great. Back end of his career. They get Mac Jones. He looks great as a rookie. Falls off the earth. I don't know. Is he ever going to be a functional NFL quarterback again? Is that Bill's fault? We'll find out next year, I guess. Maybe he'll still be wearing Patriots colors and backing up whoever they draft. I don't have an answer for you. Um, I don't know. I, I tell you this much. 30 years from now. Much like people are still talking about Bill Walsh, and Jimmy Johnson, and you know the likes of obviously Vince Lombardi, they're going to be talking about Bill Belichick. They're not going to be talking about me or you, Marlon Humphrey. They're just not. Sometimes you know, oh, you got carried by Brady. Yeah, and you know what? We're still talking about Pippin, huh? People love talking about how Pippin was the greatest ro- the greatest Robin. He got carried. Yeah, you're still talking about him, though, huh? Still talking about him. Why do we keep needing to have these conversations? Leave Bill alone, man. Leave Bill alone. He's not doing nothing to nobody. Like, the biggest problem people have with him, look, you want to say he's a cheater? That's true. I have a genuine problem with the fact that they were slapped on the wrist for cheating on the biggest stage. Just like the Houston Astros were slapped on the wrist for cheating on the biggest stage. That's a genuine problem. You want to have that discussion? We can have that discussion. You want to have this conversation because he didn't get a job with the Washington Commanders? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know what? that That's certainly what happened. He didn't turn it down because they looked mid. Because they're just as mid as the Patriots were. Super mid. I was a Sam Howell guy. He might still turn out to be a decent NFL QB. I don't know. Did he inspire hope in you this year by leading the league in interceptions? Who else is on that offense with them? Scary Terry. They've got good running backs in in uh, Gibson and Brian Robinson. I think they're pretty good. Did it get them anywhere? It's not an easy division. So where are they so Seattle, who's laying off a seventy-two-year-old coach, wants to go hire a seventy-one-year-old coach? Why? Because he beat him in the Super Bowl? Like, how does that make sense? I don't know. What I hate having to just constantly jump to the defense of people that don't need it. You don't need it, but it's just foolish. It's foolishness. All right, that brings us to the star of the show here. We've got number six and number seven. That's why you're here. We have the debut, the first ever all-name team. Now, admittedly, I don't think the reveals are going to take very long. I think we're going to be into the season awards pretty quickly. Additionally, I would like some input if you could. Comment section, if where you're listening has one, or social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. I'm debating how the all-name team is going to work. And this is the first rendition, so we're going to see how it goes. We've done every position similar to the all-pro. We have some honorable mentions. Some positions are so stacked that I didn't even take them down because, admittedly, they're just stacked. Now, I... I'm kind of of the opinion this should be a one-off award. Because, for example, a couple of the players in here are veterans. They're not rookies, right? So they would theoretically be winning these awards multiple times throughout their career, and there'd be a bit of a logjam. I think it's something like a, a badge of honor to pin on the jersey, As you know, you were a former all-name team recipient, and that's never going to be taken away from you. Because if your name is cool, or if your name is interesting, or if it sounds fun one year, it's going to be cool or sound interesting or sound fun the next year, barring a a name change or something bizarre. Um, So that's one of my thoughts on it. The other thing I was considering is, should we limit the selections here? Because we've got over 11 on either side. I think we've got 12 on either side even. And we've got a kicker, a punter. And a return man. Do we need that many people? That's a lot of people. That's admittedly a very high number of players. Should there be some sort of a bar to entry? You know, we had the discussion, and we'll talk about it in in a little bit, I'm certain, about DeMar Hamlin and how, I mean, he had three tackles on the year, and he's the presumptive comeback player of the year. Should we need you to play at least five games? Eight games? I don't know. This year, there was no bar to entry. The BARDA entry was, I went on Football DB and I sorted by position, and your name sounded cool. That's it. That, that's all we had to do. And honestly, that's more than enough for me. If we want to keep it that way, we can keep it that way. Um, but I do think, moving forward, this will be a one-off win, and maybe through the years we can honor some past winners, um, or make reference to some past winners, maybe put them in a Google Doc Somewhere, you know, send out a, a certificate to the team the team uh, facilities that they could present the players with. Either way, I say all that to say this. We are ready for the inaugural all-name team, starting with our starting quarterback. We have some decent names. You know, Bailey Zappi, it's an interesting name, but in honor of his retirement and immediate hiring, as the head football coach at his high school that he attended, the starting quarterback of the all-name team, 2024, is Teddy Bridgewater. It's a tremendous name. He's had a solid career. It's a shame, you know, you looked at him going arm-in-arm with Dan Campbell at the end of the game, and Dan felt for him, and rightfully so, you know, that this was his last shot, his last hurrah. Could he have come back to be the backup next year who knows, didn't want to do it? He said, I'm going to go coach high school football, and I respect it had a good head on his shoulders when he was a QB. Wouldn't shock me if one day we saw him on a college sideline or an NFL sideline. Congratulations to Teddy Bridgewater. Running back. Honorable mention, Raheem Blackshear. Cool name. Action hero name. The winners, the two winners at running back are Israel Abanikanda, tremendous name, and Dare Agumbawale. Been in the league for years. Always been just fun to say, you know. Fun to say. And at the end of the day, a cool name is a cool name. You know, this is all in jest. It's not the all-pro. It's nothing super crazy serious so nobody get bent out of shape over it. It's just the cool names. Reading through the injury reports every week, 18 weeks a year, some names stick out to you. And these are some of those. Wide receivers. And oh, by the way, these are not in order. Abanaconda did not beat out Wale. They are in alphabetical order because that's how football DB lists them. So, There's no first, second, third team all-name. We're all on the all-name team here, and it's a W. Wide receiver. Honorary mention, we've got Eric Ezukanma. Tremendous. Tremendous. We've got the winners at wide receiver. Simi Fihoko. Wonderful name. A lot of the uh, Hawaiian flair in some of the names more in the NFL. It's kind of growing. I don't know if that's the Palomalu effect, or it's just happenstance, or maybe the Demata-Peko effect. You know, shout out to him, too. Uh, but it's growing. And it's nice to see the game growing, and spreading throughout the country, spreading throughout the world. Then, we've got Puka Nakua. I mean, the guy's got a real shot at being an offensive player of the year. How do you not put him in there? The the uniqueness of the Puka Nakua. That's part of it, as well. You know, I've... I've As a fan, I've always constantly had the theory, if a guy's got a cool name or an interesting nickname or a name that's unique, significantly higher chance of being a productive player for your team. Do you know how many Jones and Johnsons and Smiths and Wilsons there are? Show me another Rashid Shahid. He is our third wide receiver, by the way. Rhyming name is almost a cheat code. It will... Almost certainly get you on the list, and I'm certain I overlooked at least one more rhyming name. So I apologize to that player for not giving you your just desserts, putting you on the all-name team. But Rashid Shahid will represent you in jest. Tight end, we've got an honorable mention. Tegan Quitoriano. Tremendous name. Tremendous. But, you know, admittedly for some of these, I, I did lean for some players, but not for all of them, I did lean towards players that are on the injury reports more often or on the field more often, so I went with Chiggy Okonkwo. Tremendous. Tremendous. And you might wonder, you know, why are you going with Chiggy Okonkwo? Well, I went with Chiggy because his full name is Chigozim. Or is it Chigozim? And I didn't want to mispronounce his name during these honors. Shout out to you, Chiggy. Good player. Good year, good player. Not on a great team, but we'll see how that goes. Offensive tackle. Honorable mention. Chikuma Okorafor. Tremendous. Tremendous. Slightly edged out by Chigwebuka Godric. Godric got me. Similar first name. Okorafor. Cool name. But right after Okorafor, had to go with Godric. Pretty cool. It's like very gothic, you know. Uh, And then our other offensive lineman, sorry, our other offensive tackle is Malasala awumave laulu tremendous hyphenated name gets you a little bit of a bump you get more of an opportunity to make an impact you know guard we're going with arlington hambright it sounds it sounds like a i don't even know a company that's going to sell me a textbook or something or perhaps some some meat related products with the hambright Our other guard is Xavier Newman-Johnson, which gave me Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis vibes. He would have been another all-name team recipient, but he's retired. We don't have the, you know, it's not like the Baseball Hall of Fame where they have the first class and they induct everybody. No, no, no. Xavier Newman-Johnson is representing Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis in spirit. Our center and our final offensive player, Lloyd Cushenberry. Tremendous name. Veteran. Defensive end. And yes, we're not going edge rusher or whatever. It's listed by position on Football DB. If you have a problem, take it up with them. Don't take it up with me. We got Joe Gaziano. Tremendous. As a native New Yorker, I have an appreciation for the Italian name, the Italian culture. Let's do it. Our other D end, complete other side of the spectrum, Tano Passigno. Tremendous name. If nothing more than half the people that will read Passigno, will read it as Kepassongan, completely botched. I've been there. My name is botched all the time, and we're here to honor you, my friend. I'm sure I will botch some of these names. Here's the disclaimer. If you're on the all-name list and I botch your name, I reach out to me. I will give you an honorary plaque. I will have it made out and sent to you, and you will have a handwritten apology. Defensive tackle, just, a, just an all-timer, also a great player, DeForest Buckner. I mean, come on. That's hard to dispute. DeForest Buckner, really? Other de-tackle, because we're playing the 4-3. Excuse me, playing the 3-4. No, no playing the 4-3. I was right the first time. Fulorunsu Fatukasi. Come on. That's not debatable. That's easy. Linebacker. And we're really getting into the nitty-gritty here. Amen, Agbongbemiga. I mean, come on. Come on. That's just fun. That is peak fun. DeMarvion Overshawn, Overshawn? I'm going with Overshawn. It's a cool name. It's another action hero name. You know, it's a Mortal Kombat character name. Our final linebacker, yes, linebacker didn't fit the position, but you know what? The name was so brand friendly for the league, we had to put him in. We didn't put Montez Sweat in there, right? He got his commercials and all that. He didn't need an honor from us, but you know who did? E.J. Speed. Shout out to UEJ Speed, representing the all-name team, our final linebacker. Defensive back may be the most stacked position of all the positions. If you count O-line as one, it's close. If you count wide receiver, well, obviously wide receiver's got a whole bunch of players as well. DB is tremendous. Number one here, it's got to be Chidobe Awuzie. Come on. No conversation. Chidobe Awuzie is tremendous. Then we're going to go a little different. We're going to go D'Kobe Durant. I feel like I've been hearing that name for a while. Kobe Durant. You know, it's a nice little basketball homage. Then we're going to go Quantrez Knight. Originality on the name. I like it. See, that's what I mean. The uniqueness. Would it shock you if Quantrez Knight made a big play next year against your team? Oh, man, it was it was Jones again. Darn. Daniel Jones? Come on. Do I need to say more? Our final corner, Amani Awarie. Oh, sorry. I, sh- I should say our final DB. Amani Awarie, tremendous name. Kicker, we're going to go with Cameron Dicker. Dicker the kicker. I like Young Way Koo a lot. I really do. But Dicker the kicker, just he had to get his honor. Next year, it might be Young Way Koo's year. Let's see how he does. And our punter, just for sheer, I mean, really, is Ryan Stonehouse. That is the name of a punter? Stonehouse? Yep, we're doing it. Stonehouse is making the team. Our final special teamer and our final player, we had Raheem Blackshear as an honorary mention. By the way, in order to qualify for the Return Man Award, you need to have returned at least one kick. You don't need to run back like 15 kicks or anything crazy. Just one to get on the leaderboard. For that one, you had to switch to NFL.com. Uh, they don't have kick returners as or punt returners as a separate section on Football DB. That's completely fine. We're going to go Cordaryl Patterson. Cordaryl, tremendous name. Um, I feel bad for Raheem Blackshear. He might make next team, but just short for the 2024 season. Wherever you are, please put it together. Clap your hands for the all-name team, the Necessary Roughness all-name team, 2024. Now, I'm leaning towards, as I said, retiring their eligibility, so you cannot win back-to-back years because some of these players being, you know, guys that'll have a short career, they may not win as many, but then you look at somebody like Chidobe Wouzier who's been in the league for years, DeForest Buckner, who's been in the league for years. They just keep winning them over and over. Um, I think we'll do one and one. One and done, excuse me. Number seven in standout seven, let's get to the thing that's in the title. The end of year awards. We had the finalists. We broke them down last week. And now we're going to speed through. Well, maybe we'll take our time a little with the end-of-season awards. Let's start with the MVP. Let's start with the big one, get it out of the way. I've already said, as far as predictions go, Lamar Jackson's going to win, right? The writing's on the wall. The media has made it very clear, and it's a media-voted award. Lamar Jackson is their pick. Baltimore was one of, if not the best teams in the league this year, and he was the linchpin of their offense. All right, it's understandable. I am of the opinion that considering Lamar Jackson this year had 3,700 passing yards, rounding up, 24 passing touchdowns, 800 rushing yards, and five rushing touchdowns. This is not the best Lamar Jackson season. right? We will see better. We have seen better. We saw better in his MVP year. I don't think he should win the MVP. I don't. I think... In a season such as this one, where you do not have a dominant quarterback, because it seems to be the quarterback award, right? You have Dak Prescott leading in passing yards, excuse me, passing touchdowns at 36 touchdowns to 9 picks. You have Tua leading in passing yards at 29 touchdowns, and, excuse me, 4,600 yards, 29 touchdowns. But he threw 14 interceptions. Dak, they had the late season collapse. You're not going to give it to Jordan Love, who had a good year, right? Dak had 69% completion percentage, by the way leading qualified passers. He was tied with Kirk Cousins, who I don't believe qualifies. You're not going to give it to Brock Purdy because of the bad game against Baltimore. One bad game will do it to you, right? I am of the opinion you should be willing, and when I say you, I mean the media, should be willing to give the award to a non-quarterback. Does that mean a D-lineman? Does that mean a, a corner? Does that mean a running back? That's completely at their discretion. If a quarterback does not have a dominant year, do not force yourself to give a quarterback the MVP. And here's my argument. My argument is two people. Christian McCaffrey of the San Francisco 49ers and Tyreek Hill of the Miami Dolphins. Tyreek Hill, in 16 games, had the most receiving yards in the league, and he was tied for the league lead in touchdowns, he had 119 catches. You want to say, oh, well, Nick, C.D. Lamb had 135 catches. and you just barely had less yards. Yeah, he played one more game. Uh, yeah, Dak Prescott also. I mean, if you're going to give it to C.D. Lamb, then Dak Prescott should be pretty high on your list as well. I don't think C.D. Lamb has the argument that Tyreek does, admittedly. Um, although, looking in a vacuum, you know, on the fly here, I would say Jalen Waddles a better number two than whoever they're running out there in Dallas. So you know what? If you want to give a vote to CeeDee Lamb of MVP, as crazy as that sounds, I would be on board. My pick for MVP, the Necessary Roughness MVP, is Christian McCaffrey. Tyreek Hill, 1,800 yards receiving. 1,799 to be exact. Did he have much on the ground? I believe he had... 15 rushing yards. So 1,800 all-purpose. 13 receiving touchdowns, right? Christian McCaffrey ends the year with 1,459 rushing yards and 564 receiving yards. That's right. That is a 2,000 yard from scrimmage season. Just, just straight up not really being discussed. Anyway, Uh, He also, by the way, had 21 touchdowns on the best team in the NFC, the team that is representing them in the Super Bowl. I know it's a regular season award, but they were the best team in the NFC. I'm giving Christian McCaffrey the MVP. Now, I'll say this. Like I said, Lamar Jackson's going to win it. That's the way it is. I get it. So for Offensive Player of the Year, I think they're going to give the award to Christian McCaffrey. I think he deserves to win something. My version of the award, I think you have Tyree Kill battling it out with the quarterbacks. This is the Necessary Roughness show, right? So it's our awards. Um, I don't know. I think there's certainly an argument to be made for Lamar as the offensive player of the year. Right? It's kind of a... The only reason I say this is because they, they need, when I say need, I mean it, they need to give one of these awards to a quarterback. If the quarterback doesn't win the MVP, they will win Offensive Player of the Year, right? It just seems to be the way that it goes. So in that position, maybe 3,600 passing yards, a whole bunch of rushing yards. You know what? Maybe I would say in mine, it would be switched and Lamar Jackson would be the Offensive Player of the Year. Can can that? Does that make people happy, right? Realistically, I'm kind of I'm kind of just saying it so you guys don't get angry at me cuz I kind of want to give the award to Tyreek, but uh yeah. Yeah. I'll go with Lamar. Yeah. He'll be our offensive player of the year and we'll give CMC the MVP. It's a little weird, but we'll get it done. That brings us to defensive player of the year. And I have a question for all of you. Has the Defensive Player of the Year award just become the Sack Leader award? Because, I don't know about you guys, but I find myself, when I think of the Defensive Player of the Year, that's what I think. Um, Deron Bland, nine interceptions, five touchdowns on the defensive side. Do you think he's going to win? I don't think he is. Geno Stone, seven interceptions? No. I mean, How about Jesse Bates? Jesse Bates had six interceptions and almost double the amount of tackles of either of those guys. 69 combined tackles for Bland, 68 for Stone. Jesse Bates, 132. He had more solo tackles than they had combined tackles. He also forced three fumbles. Let's take a look at the uh, the finalists here. You know, you know what I don't see in here? Jesse Bates. At all. I see Max Crosby, Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, and TJ Watt. And they are all pass rushers. Bates is there because he broke a record and he plays for the Cowboys. I'm going to give the award to TJ Watt. TJ Watt led the league in sacks. TJ Watt is one of the most dominant players in the NFL on the defensive side. He had three fumble recoveries. Sure, let's do that. Okay, why not? Um, He also had an interception this year. I would say this. My second or third place, I think I might give Jesse Bates... Second place, now that I think about it. I was considering putting him in third, but you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm swapping it around here. I've got Jesse Bates number two, because I think he deserves some love. Tremendous off-season acquisition. I know it's Atlanta. It is what it is. I don't care. It's an individual award. What does it matter? It doesn't matter who you play for. Number three for me is Khalil Mack. And it's because at 32 years old, Khalil Mack had 17 sacks. He had... Five forced fumbles. Five. TJ Watt had four and three recoveries. I think I said forced before. Three recoveries. Four forced fumbles for Watt. Five for Mack. Ten passes defensed for Mack. Eight for Watt. No interception, but I mean, come on. An aging pass rusher who's still got it. Potentially a future Hall of Famer. i give it to Khalil Mack at number three. Not even a finalist. Offensive Rookie of the Year is the battle I have been fighting the entire season. Jameer Gibson and Sam Laporta might be the best rookie teammates on offense ever. And I don't mean in terms of talent. I mean in terms of production. We're talking 10 touchdowns apiece for rookies on a team that could have been Super Bowl bound. Again, I mention it all the time. That is a Madden NFL rebuild. We had it with C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryans. Yeah, I'm going to make my coach guy and I'll draft a quarterback and we'll do great. And they made the playoffs. And oh yeah, you know what? I'm uh, yeah. We need a running back and a tight end. I'll just draft some guys. Boom. Hidden development, right? Maybe it's going over you guys' heads, but there's got to be some gamers out there that know what I'm talking about. Either way, they will not win the award. B. John Robinson. Theoretically, could have won the award, if, if there was some more, uh, some more pigskin going his way. I think Bijan Robinson is a tremendous talent, and I think under a new coaching staff, he will get the rock more. He had 200 carries for 976 yards. Jameer Gibbs in a split backfield had a buck 82 for 945 yards. Wow, tremendous year out of Gibbs. Um, one and two, I'm just stalling here. One and two have got to be Nakua and Stroud. The award is going to go to C.J. Stroud. I am here to make the argument for you. I don't care how the vote turns out. I think the NFL should give out a co-rookie of the year to Puka Nakua and C.J. Stroud. Is it unfair that they're not honoring Laporta and Gibbs? Perhaps. But Puka Nakua set rookie receiving records. On a team in the Rams that we didn't think was going to be good. Raise your hand out there if you thought the Rams were a playoff team at the beginning of the year. Put your hand down. Now put your hand back up and tell me, did you think Puka Nakua would even be a factor in their offense if you thought they were going to the playoffs? You thought Cooper Cup would come back and be great. You, you thought their running game would be back to what it was when Gurley was around. What, what did you think? You didn't think Puka Nakua would come in And set the world on fire as a rookie receiver. I think C.J. Stroud deserves to be honored. I think if he wins the award, it will not be a robbery. Because he is sensational. And his performance as a rookie QB is uh, matched by very few. Very, very few. But I think it should be co-rookie of the year. I think Puka Nakua did enough to deserve to be honored. And I think it's just an award. We make it up as we go along. Make them co-winners. I think that'd be the best way to do it. Defensive Rookie of the Year. We've got Will Anderson, high draft pick. He had seven sacks for the Houston Texans. We've got Joey Porter Jr., Devin Witherspoon for the Seahawks. Uh, Porter Jr., obviously, for the same team as his father, Pittsburgh Steelers. Jalen Carter, the Eagles. And we got my pick in Kobe Turner. Kobe Turner with nine sacks. You know what? We're giving everybody sack award. Look, at the at the halfway point of the year, by the way, I had Byron Young as my winner. Byron Young ended the year with eight sacks as a rookie. Two forced fumbles and a fumble recovery. He's not even in the top five. Really? Like, not even in the top five at all? Isn't that kind of weird? Anyway. um, Yeah, I, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Kobe Turner. Who do I think is going to win this award? I mean, the biggest name was Jalen Carter going into the year. Will Anderson went really high in the draft, but Jalen Carter was getting talked about a lot with the Eagles. I don't know if he did enough. Joey Porter Jr. Looked like a great player. Devin Witherspoon. They all look like good players. I'll give it to Kobe Turner. Why not? My defensive rookie of the year. Comeback player of the year. Go back to last week's episode. If you want the deeper discussion about it, I'll give you the cliff notes here. Um, DeMar Hamlin is likely going to win because he came back from something that nobody has really come back from, thankfully, uh, or not many in the history of the league. And I completely understand that. Joe Flacco is kind of beloved by some of the fandom for coming off the couch and throwing touchdowns and chucking the ball all over the yard. I understand that as well. Joe Flacco came out and said he doesn't understand why he's even nominated. He thinks the award should go to DeMar, so you know what? I'm pulling Flacco from my nomination. He's not even in the top five for me. I'm completely pulling him. I think DeMar Hamlin will win. Players other than DeMar, we've got Tua, Matt Stafford, and Baker. I don't think Matt Stafford would win it for me. You know what I mean? They return to the postseason. I get it. I understand, I guess, why he's on there. But uh, as we mentioned last week, where's the love for John Mechie? We're talking about players coming back from significant health situations. Um, Guess not. But that leaves us with Baker and Tua. Tua coming back from significant, significant concussions. And Baker coming back from, well, his career potentially being in the dumps. So it really comes down to, is this award more about a return to form as a player? Or is it about coming back from a significant injury? I don't know. I remember I think Alex Smith won it after the broken leg that almost led to a leg amputation when he was in Washington. Let's go with DeMar Hamlin. Um, is it gonna be, you know, in that situation I'm talking about, would it be Tua or Baker for me? I don't know. Like I said, if we're leaning towards the injuries, it would be Tua. If we're leaning towards performance coming back out of nowhere. It would be Baker, because Tua played well for the bulk of the year and then obviously had to deal with the concussions. Came back to playing tremendous. Um, Either way, it's your call. Coach of the year, our finalists are Dan Campbell of the Lions, John Harbaugh of the Ravens, Kyle Shanahan of the Niners, Kevin Stefanski of the Browns, and D'Amico Ryans of the Texans. I do not think John Harbaugh should win this award. He has an MVP caliber quarterback on his team. They did not go 17-0. Why is he here? Uh, Kyle Shanahan with Brock Purdy. Fair enough, but the team was good the year before. No, not going to happen. Dan Campbell's an interesting one because they took the next step that they were supposed to. Right? So if a team does what they're supposed to do, are you going to give that award? It's like, you know, the discussion of when the New York Yankees were constantly winning in the Joe Torre years. Joe Torre wasn't constantly winning coach of the year, or manager of the year, rather, as it's baseball. Bill Belichick's not constantly winning coach of the year, you know what I mean? So, it's tough for me. Maybe it's just, maybe it's the bad taste in my mouth of just having watched them choke, you know, in the biggest moment. I'm not going to give it to Campbell. Stefanski's an interesting one, because you're literally talking about a guy who had a quarterback off the couch leading his team in the biggest moments. And they went out and they made the postseason. And I thought the Browns would be decent this year, but I thought it was Deshaun Watson at the helm. Watson gets hurt. Nick Chubb gets hurt. You got a backup quarterback. your backup running back. Piecing it together on the fly with glue and tape. Tremendous. But unfortunately, I've got D'Amico Ryans. At the end of the day, on paper, coming into the year, The Browns were a significantly more talented team than the Texans, in my opinion. I thought it wouldn't be shocking if the Browns made it as a wild card, right? The Texans, completely out of nowhere. And some of that credit obviously goes to C.J. Stroud, who I have winning at least co-offensive rookie of the year. D'Amico Ryan should be on this list. Their defense played way, way better than anyone thought they would. The whole team did, and uh, kudos to D'Amico as a freshman, a rookie head coach bringing home the AP Coach of the Year, and I think he will win it. I think he deserves it, and I think he will. Anyway, that'll bring us to the end of the season award special, the all name team ceremony. And oh, by the way, episode number 189 of the Necessary Roughness podcast. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We broke down the championship games, and we will preview Super Bowl 58. Tune in This time next week. Oh, by the way, it's the Pro Bowl week. We didn't mention the Pro Bowl one time. Look at that. Usually we do these seasonal, the yearly Pro Bowl rant. Didn't give it the airtime this year. I'm not sure you guys care. And I think you know how I feel about the NFL Pro Bowl festivities. If you like it, hope you enjoyed it. I certainly admittedly forgot for the bulk of the episode that we needed to mention it, and therefore we didn't. Anyway, tune in next week for a Super Bowl 58 preview. We'll go through the nitty-gritty of everything, talk legacy potentially for the Chiefs if they win this one, talk about is this Brock Purdy guy going to go on some kind of a weird Brady career arc, or is Mahomes going to beat him to the Brady career arc by bringing home yet another Lombardi? How many times will they show Taylor Swift? Maybe we'll cook up a parlay or two, talk about the color of the Gatorade. Either way, if it was your first episode tuning in or your 189th episode tuning in, Thanks for coming around, and stick around next week for our Super Bowl preview episode. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.